when I decided I wanted to do more episodes uh, interviewing ERISA attorneys about 401k plans, it was like a ghost town. It's it's a really, really, really hard to find ERISA attorneys because they're so specialized. Um, and so it was it was a pleasure when I ran into uh, Vicki Blanton at a networking event. And that's what exactly what she does for uh, Fortune for multiple Fortune 500 companies and the current company she's with. Uh, and she gives legal advice to they have like a 50 billion plus uh, um, retirement uh, plan. And so she brings lots of insights, lots of um, education, lots of um, good practices around uh, being a fiduciary for a 401k plan. Uh, this is literally what she does, uh, gives training and, and advice on um, um, retirement plans. So uh, maybe some, you know, even if you're not a business owner, I think you get a lot of value from the conversation just so you can know the inner workings of your 401k plan, because it's next to your home uh, or even ahead of your home, uh, your largest asset um, on your balance sheet. So hope y'all enjoyed. Don't forget to share the podcast. Don't be stingy. Washington host of the Ask Philip Show. We are back with another guest, Ms. Vicki Blanton, Arissa Law Expert. Thanks for hanging out today. Good morning. Thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. So, so there's a lot going on in like the you know Arissa Law. And for those who don't know, um, we're speaking mostly about 401k plans. When I say Arissa is big, but we're going to focus on like Arissa Law when it comes to 401k plans today. So that's um, the rules around 401ks. Um, uh, section for the ERISA law, um, but there's a lot of changes going on today, uh, you know, right, really over the last few years in ERISA law, and so the, the first question that I wanted to um, start off by asking you um, is why, you know, why are there so many changes around ERISA law? Um, well, there's so much more emphasis around personal savings, and so when you think about when um, savings plans first started long ago, um, the thought was around that you would have kind of the three-legged stool model. I'm sure you've heard that. Maybe mm -hmm. some of your um, listeners have heard that. And, as and, well. and we can go over so they know. So the three-legged stool model was the thought that you would have three aspects to um, your retirement savings. First of all, that um, you know there's Social Security, and a lot of people, and that's a government um, fund. Everybody's kind of familiar with that. But then in recent years, everybody said, well, is it going to be around? Is it going to be enough? You know, what's mm -hmm. it going to look like? It could change over the years. Um, and so that kind of changes with the political climate mm -hmm. dynamic as that is always political fodder. Um, then there was a thought, well, my company would have a pension plan for me. I'm a traditional defined benefit plan, as it's called. Um, is when you work so many years based on your salary, how many years you work, you get to the end of like a 30, 35 year career, then the company would pay you a percentage of your salary. So you would have that to last the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So that was the second leg of the stool. And then the third leg of the stool would be your personal savings. And that's kind of changed over the years 
from just, you know, stocking things away under your mattress, so mm -hmm. to speak, to like, a, you know, savings account at your local bank where you get a small percentage of interest, to then becoming the 401k plans as we know them today, um, where you can personally invest and choose your investments um, within a whatever's offered within that plan. And most of those are offered through your employer, um, and that's your personal savings and most employers, not all, but most employers provide some kind of match. Mm -hmm. And that's distinguished from a defined benefit plan, traditional pension, and this 401k area, a defined contribution plan because you are putting your own contribution in that. Usually the traditional pension, you don't have to put your own money in it for the most part. It's just, again, some defined formula that the company comes up with for your percentage of salary. Um, to get back to your original question, why is there more interest now in 401k plans? Mm -hmm. Well, now two of the legs of the stool <laughs> are kind of gone, mm -hmm. you know, are going away. Yeah. You know, again, I mentioned Social Security. That's always political fodder. Right. We don't know what's going to yeah, happen and, with and, that. And, or, and most people that are in 30s and 40s are like, you ain't going to even get it. Whether you get it or not, right. you're not even counting on Right, you're not going to count on that, right? Or it may change, or they may push it out. So, um, in my direct, now, to be honest with you, we said the same thing when I was your oh, age, okay. all right? Oh. That, oh, it's not going to be around. So, so there's hope. Yeah, oh, there's hope, and it's still here, right? But what has happened, um, it used to be you could draw it down at 60, then it was 65, then at 67. Now it's like 70, 72 for mm -hmm. your age bracket, mm -hmm. right? So they keep pushing it out. Um, so that's another way for them to kind of change the model of it, that they don't have to pay it as long mm -hmm. because you're, they're, paying, they're starting it when you're older. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still around. Um, but to the point of the three-legged stool, most people kind of consider, well, I don't know that it's going to be there, so I'm not going to count on that, mm -hmm. right? Defined benefit, the traditional pension plan, so many companies have moved away from that traditional pension plan. If they still have one, it's frozen to new entrants. You mm -hmm. had to have already been there for so many years or, you know, so most people don't have that leg. So now it's almost like you have a polo stick. You got the one thing. You got your own personal savings. Mm -hmm. um, so, so much emphasis is placed on that now because um, you have to rely on that. And because it is your own contributions, um, and it is your own options and choices of where you want to invest the money, yet there's so little education about it. Mm -hmm. um, so few people really understand investments and the markets and um, long-term investing. And um, that's why there's so much interest generated around 401k plans. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense because like, the government knows <laughs> that um, if, if we don't get that right, then... Uh, you know, it's, it might be upheaval, right? Because you know, when when uh, you got uh, two large generations, like the the millennials are right. That gen, you know, I'm saying that generation. I'm mean, I'm old in that generation, but it's, it's as big as the boomers, right? So right. you got like two huge generations, right? Um, that and in some senses, when I started out, they called them echo boomers mm. because it was the echo of the baby boomers. Because mm. the baby boomers had. A lot of the baby boomers had children later, and so that's that generation, and it's just that, again, a little bit smaller, as they say, moving through mm -hmm. um, that, that big lump, and it's, it's, yeah, there's so many people. And then you think on the other end of it, with the baby boomers, a lot of whom are just now retiring, right? That statistic of there are so many boomers retiring that's every day, yeah. that's just starting, right? Um, my parents, I look at them very active, both of them very active, engaged, 
been they've been retired now, both of them, at least five to ten years now. Mm-hmm. And they have no evidence of slowing down. Thank right. goodness, great, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, but that means, you know. They're going to be a little long. Yes, time. long. And we have longevity in our family as well. So, um, you know, I expect them, and hopefully both of them have the pension plans mm-hmm. um, from their careers um, and their personal savings and Social Security. So they have that three-legged stool model intact. Mm-hmm. But what does that leave for the rest of us? Right. So we have to focus on what is 401k doing and just kind of be aware of how they're changing that model. Okay. No, good good, um, good stuff. And so go, going to the 401k, right? So if, if a business owner is listening, which quite a few are, um, or watching, you know, a lot of business owners, A, don't know they need, if they have a 401k, they have to have an investment committee. I'm, I'm typically the one that says, you know, you're supposed to have an investment committee, right? Right. Really? You know, and here's your investment policy statement. Let's go over it. Make sure you like it. You can, you know, this is what's going to guide the meetings. But uh, from, a, from, a, from a, a legal aspect, who should the business owner think about putting on an investment committee? In, in general, right? Because I know it depends, but... You know, um, you know what? What are some good guidelines? For you took my favorite lawyer answer. Hey, I already depends. know. I already know. I, already, <laughs> <laughs> I said the that's same the thing favorite too. lawyer answer. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> what you need to understand is, the member of the investment committee does not necessarily have to have the knowledge, the same knowledge you would have, having being an investment professional, right? You have years of training, school experience, but what they are charged with is getting someone like you to advise them if they don't already have that prerequisite knowledge. So um, it is important to understand that an investment committee member has a fiduciary responsibility and fiduciary duty is the highest duty you can have under the law. That means you put the best interest of whomever you have that you owe that duty to you put their interest above anything else. So you're trying to tell me other advisors that are out there advising folks aren't, that aren't fiduciaries don't have to do that? That's a you layup, know. y'all. That's a layup. <laughs> <laughs> there are some that like to say they are directed, right? That they only take direction. Ultimately, it is your decision. It is the fiduciary's decision. It is the fiduciary's responsibility. Investment advisors do have a fiduciary responsibility. Some of them, right? Some of them that try to contract out of it. But here's the thing that I like about that. As much as sometimes that I get into negotiations with um, people who, um, money men, I always call you money men, investment managers, um, who want to say, oh, well, we're just directed. And I'm like, you know, if you're quacking like a duck, you're walking like a duck, under the law, particularly fiduciary duty, you are a duck. Yeah. So you know, I, I was in the business for seven years, and I did not understand the difference between suitability and fiduciary, right? And then when I finally realized it, that's when I was like, Psh, I switched and just became fiduciary only. And because uh, I was like, well, I, was like, I thought that you know, you know, I was doing it, and I thought that it was the same. And then I was like, no, it's not the same, literally, no. right? But but how did they get away with that? First of all, I, I'm not going on a tangent. Um, you can finish the question and we can go there. Well, yeah, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> day. That's like negotiation tactics, really. But in my mind, I want everybody to understand and be aware. And I also, to kind of go back to the investment committee mm-hmm. part of it, um, that's why I also explain to, and I usually do fiduciary training for those members who are on my uh, plan committee, um, 
those committee members and I also like to do it for the staff so the staff can understand there's a point where you have to stop you can make a recommendation but if you um, make decisions if you have the ability to have discretion over certain activities and you decide then you are acting as a fiduciary. Mm -hmm. You will be held to a fiduciary standard. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's what you want to do as staff right. as opposed to being on the committee. But there are certain aspects to it, certain advisors, investment advisors, investment managers under ERISA who are all just automatically charged with that responsibility. Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of that going on and um, under the DOL regulations, we see them, they had rigs, and they were pulled, now they come back again, then modified as to who is and who is not a fiduciary um, with regard to investment advice. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, that distinction between investment advice and investment education um, that a lot of people kind of fall on the sword of, you know, it, it, explaining how a 401k plan works, education telling you where to invest, um, um, for what fits your risk tolerance, your expectations, uh, when you plan to retire, that's advice. Mm -hmm. And that advice is fiduciary responsibility and fiduciary duties owed. Mm -hmm. no, that's, that's, a good, that's a good breakdown of it. So um, um, that's good to know because a lot of a lot, uh, the conversations that I have is people say, well, I don't know about investments. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, that's, that's why you're hiring an advisor, but you got to think about who you want to commit. So that's, that's a really good, uh, really good answer. Uh, next question is how, how often should the committee meet in, in general? And does it matter plan size? You know, meaning if it's a small plan, you know, a large plan or a big Fortune 500 company plan, are, are, there, are there different uh, frequencies for meeting based on the size of the plan and, you know, and how often in general? It really should not matter the size of the plan. Okay. Um, it really depends upon how active that committee wants to be. Uh, some committees only meet once a quarter. Mm -hmm. um, you should meet at least once a year, mm -hmm. right, to get that annualized return, did it meet the goals, kind of where are you. Um, but I would say, um, and, and sometimes depending on the volatility of the market, or investments or what's going on with the company or if you have, for example, publicly traded stock within your company um, and the company is going through some kind of, you know, transition, whether it's a, a merger acquisition um, or it could be um, some other type of transition, bankruptcy or something else, the committee may need to meet more frequently. Um, and there is a distinction, let me say this too, there is a distinction as part of that fiduciary duty owed between being the company and being uh, the duty owed to the plan. Mm -hmm. um, and so you, going back to your prior question about who should be on the committee, um, there's this kind of push and pull between those uh, people who say, oh, I want an officer of the company. I want the treasurer, I want you know the finance, I want the controller, I want those type of people on there. Well, think about that. If they are officers of the company, they may have information mm -hmm. that could impact, if, particularly if you have company stock within the plan, and there have been lots of lawsuits about that. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're an insider for the company and you have that information, but you don't bring that to the plan, who do you owe that duty to? Mm -hmm. And under ERISA, again, fiduciary responsibility, 
that's the best interest of the participants in the plan. So um, as it comes to 401k plans, a lot of times if there's company stock within the plan, they may hire an independent fiduciary who then is not an insider to the company just to deal with that company stock. So then they only have the information that's publicly available, public knowledge, and then that company officer is then not um, saddled with trying to decide, you know, do I violate the law for insider trading mm -hmm. or do I violate the law for ERISA um, fiduciary responsibility owed to the plan? So um, I've been, I've worked with a lot of different types of plans and some of them have members who are employees who are voted on by the mem the participants themselves. Mm. And so that's just a basic campaign, you know, um, anybody who wants to put their name forward. I've worked with um, corporations who have, like I said, members of officers. I've had some who want, um, you know, at least one participant representative. And again, it tends to be someone who, um, you know, they just because you have some other day job does not mean that you don't have interest in investments and you don't keep right. up with the market or you don't understand what's going on. Um, but what is required of that fiduciary is that they're not necessarily charged with the knowledge, but they seek out someone who does have that knowledge and experience and who um, is able to advise on those investment matters. Hmm. Okay. And, and so when DOL comes in for an audit, you know, what are they, what are they looking for, right? Because every, every business owner, we hate audits in general. So imagine, yeah. I can only imagine, you know, how business owners thinking when they get audited for the 401k plan, right? You know, I, you know um, I'm exposed to this fiduciary, but business owners, since they're a fiduciary, they, they are exposed to it as well. So what's DOL looking for when they come in the door? What they're looking for, um, most of the time they will ask for your minutes. Mm -hmm. um, they want to know that your your decisions are thoughtfully considered, weighed, measured. Why did you do what you did? Um, you're not expected, a, a fiduciary isn't expected to have a crystal ball to know exactly how things are going to work out. Um, they're not expected to, um, you know, know how exactly how everything is going to work out in the future. But they are charged with um, considering, giving due consideration, taking in the information, doing the appropriate investigation, doing the appropriate research, consulting um, the appropriate experts in the field. If they're doing something for the first time or they've never considered that, or they're bringing in a certain investment product that they've never had before, why would you bring in a REIT, um, a real estate mm -hmm. investment? Um, Trust. Why would you bring that in if you've never had one before? Why are you considering this new type of investment? Why are you going, you know, um, do you have the appropriate array of investments with a variety of risk factors, tolerance, and returns? Um, do you have a stable value type fund that um, is kind of more of a guaranteed interest mm -hmm. rate for someone with a low risk tolerance? So um, that's the kind of thing the DOL is looking for. Um, so it's not just a fact that you may have your growth value, you know, check your bars, large, mid, small cap, but they want to understand um, not only why you chose the funds that you have, are you also monitoring those funds? If you have style drift, if you have a small cap fund manager who all of a sudden has a lot of large cap in there because they're chasing return, right? 
um, you know, are their sectors out of favor. Um, they want to understand that you, are you, as the fiduciary investment person, monitoring that appropriately? Okay. And, and, I, and I'm assuming uh, if you're in the unfortunate situation where you have a plaintiff attorney uh, coming at you for stuff because you've gotten uh, sued, they're basically looking for the same thing? Plaintiff's attorneys have gotten very creative over the years. They are looking for that. Um, they are also looking for um, the investment fees charged. Um, that's what we're seeing a lot of the, for example, I mentioned stop drop cases um, where you had company stop within a plan and that was kind of the, the thought about that and a lot of companies moved to the independent fiduciary to monitor that. Um, you've had, uh, in, in essence, Stock drop cases dealt with the fact that you had company stock in the plan, the company stock, kind of an Enron situation. Mm -hmm. Company stock is falling, why are you using the 401k plan? Again, the duty to continue to monitor that investment to see if it's appropriate for the plan. Why did you continue to hold that stock mm -hmm. if it was investing? Particularly if you had members on the committee who knew the company was not doing well, right? Mm -hmm. So most of that now is being handled by or, or mitigated by independent fiduciaries. So they only can look at what's publicly available information and then they can make the call whether the stock should stay in the plan or not. Mm -hmm. um, they are also looking at whether um, investment fees, the fees you pay are appropriate. Um, some people still believe their 401k plan is free. <laughs> it's not free. Mm -hmm. It's not free. Mm -hmm. um, somewhere along the way, someone is making money whether it's you're paying higher fees with retail level um, stocks, mm -hmm. choices, as opposed to institutional stocks, which may have a little bit base, you know, a lower basis point mm -hmm. um, and load and fees associated with them. Um, how do your record keepers make money? Some people think my record keeping is free. Mm -hmm. Your record keeping is not free. It is, you know, it could be um, based on a platform of investments available uh, through your record keeper that they have worked out with the various investment managers that the investment manager is paying some type of load or mm -hmm. extra fee or something on there I guarantee you that's coming off your return mm -hmm. I, I, I won't say guarantee you more likely than not mm -hmm. it is probably coming off your return so um, that's a lot of the focus for uh, plaintiff's lawyers mm -hmm. now um, on is the participant really getting the maximum return based on the fees associated with the plan? Right. Yeah. No, you're right. I, when I call on plans, it's, it's great. And, and maybe because I'm calling on plans that are like smaller than $20 million, you know, but there's a ton of them that are just overpaying without even knowing, right? They've never done right. a benchmark on, on right. all uh, fees. Uh, they don't even know what all the fees are. Right. You know, they don't know who all the service providers are. Um, and so it's 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 shocking, right? So I'm personally excited the deal was putting some heat on them, you know. And and I love playing returns. I'm like, I'm all, I'm all, I'm going to find like a hotline be like, hey, look, you should call on this plan. <laughs> Tighten <laughs> tight them up. <laughs> oh my! Oh my! No, no, oh wow! No. Okay, no, that's no, an I, interesting I'm, point of view. I'm, um, but I mean, you know, that's one of the reasons I do enjoy doing this type area of law because there is an opportunity there to. Um, protect individuals in a different way mm -hmm. and to um, help the committee to understand 
um, the duties they owe. And, 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 and let's be clear, uh, most committee members, again, have another day job, right? They're usually pulled to do this in addition to mm-hmm. whatever else it is that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them don't have this background. Mm-hmm. They don't have um, investment training. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is important that they have the appropriate advisor to explain to them mm-hmm. um, what do all these investments mean, what are the fees to be able to have that and have an attorney mm-hmm. to if they don't want to ask the hard questions, yep. then I get to be the bad guy. Yep. You know, um, I don't have fiduciary responsibility so as the attorney, but I have a whole yeah. other mm-hmm. duty, set of duties as an attorney that require me to give the best representation for my client. Um, and there are many times my, who my client is may change. Is it the participant? Is it the plan in and of itself? Is it the committee member? Is it the company that I may work for? You know, so I have, you know, sometimes a lot of different hats that I have to wear to understand, wait a minute, in this instance, right now, you know, the question I'm asking, mm-hmm. what's the focus here and what am I trying to accomplish? Yeah, no, yeah. And, 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 when I, and when I when I joke about that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, you, I'm thinking, you know, since I know how important it is, you know, I... I I just get upset sometimes when I see business owners lackadaisically administer their 401k plan. Because they're not worried about it. They're going to get rich off right. their business and everything. 401k to them is just for, for, for them. So I'm like, take this serious, like, even if you don't care about it. Well, and I don't think it's so much they don't care about it. I think what they think of it is, this is an employee benefit. Yeah. You know what? I want to be able to say on my website that I offer 401k plan. Um, that's an incentive to draw employees as a recruiting tool, mm-hmm. right? Maybe it's a retention tool. You know, some this year we did well in the business, so I'm going to do a little extra mm-hmm. uh, contribution. And those are totally appropriate um, employer decisions. They've been called settler functions mm-hmm. to decide to have a plan, to decide to terminate a plan, to decide if I want to give a match or not, um, if I want to cut my match this year, because back in during the Great Recession in 2008, a lot of employers, I don't have it. Yeah. I don't have it. Turn your pockets mm-hmm. inside out. I'm not going to give you a contribution. And a lot of people, you know, plaintiff's attorneys try to jump on that, like, oh, no, that's a problem. No, 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 no. That's a settler function. Mm-hmm. They can decide. I ain't got it. Thanks I'm not going to. lines of credit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have it. Exactly. I don't have it. So, um, but once that money comes into the plan, you know, that's when you have all the fiduciary duties owed. And so a lot of employers using this as a kind of marketing tool, you know, okay, my competition down the street has a 401k plan. Mm-hmm. I'm drawn from that same, trying to recruit from that same potential employment pool. I need to have a 401k plan too. Mm-hmm. The record keeper, you know, someone comes in, hey, I have a 401k. It's a, and this is the favorite phrase, I have a turnkey system. <laughs> Right, sign on the dotted line. We'll take care of everything. Mm-hmm. You don't have to think about it. It'll run on its own. You don't have to worry about it. What business owner doesn't want right. that, right? right? Oh, great! Now I have this recruiting tool. I can focus completely on my business, and I'll just let the fox run the hen house. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's, and, and this is why I'm having more attorneys on the show because you know I'm one of the things I tell the clients is, hey, look. You know, because like you said, if, if I come in the plan, like I'm not the record keeper, I'm, I'm just the advisor, and they may have their own or I'll, or I'll shop with them and help right. negotiate the fees. But I'm like, whatever you do, you need an ERISA attorney to really look at your documents like regularly, right? Because 
Like, I'm not a legal expert, nor neither are you, and this stuff is changing, you know, quarterly sometimes. It is. You know? It really is. And so I'm like, you need to, like, that's going to, like, your best advisor on the plan is going to be the attorney. I'm number two because the investment part is easy, you know. But uh, the attorney, I'm there, um, or, you know, every plan I've worked with, um, I go to committee meetings. Um, I sit in on the presentations when they are, you know, deciding to convert to record keepers or bring them on. Um, I've worked on um, the RFPs to make sure the questions get asked um, because I, I review RFPs to make sure you get apples to apples comparison because a lot of people pull their off the shelf kind of shiny mm -hmm. stuff, but it doesn't get to the questions and trying to get to, you know, so you can line it up to see which one really fits. And, you know, here's the other thing that's very interesting about 401k plans. A lot of people think, I need to go with the cheapest thing, you know, available. No, you don't have to. Um, you don't have to be the most expensive either. I mean, from the DOL's perspective, it's about what can you justify. Right. Um, if you have, uh, you know, employee base from your fiduciary perspective that you think needs hand-holding, they need one-on-one -on -one advisors, they need shiny slick paper. They need all the modeling tools online. Um, they need, you know, all of this, you know, bells and whistles. It's going to cost more. It's going to cost more. Mm -hmm. But that's great as long as you said, hey, we've really considered this is our employee population. They need all of this. Mm -hmm. Then great. That's fine. Again, the DOL, when they come out, they want to see well-reasoned decisions. They want to see that you really took into account. They um, they want to see that you really did um, consider several record keepers, not just, you know, oh, we're just going to keep re-upping mm -hmm. every year because, you know, we don't have time and we don't want to think about it and we don't want to um, deal with it. And so um, that's where an ERISA attorney helps. I've been very fortunate that I've been able to build a career over several decades, but I will tell you it is very rare for companies to have an in-house ERISA attorney, someone totally and completely focused on this area of law and nothing else. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, if a company has an in-house attorney, um, it may be their employment attorney, but they're dealing with, you know, Title VII and all these other kinds of issues, you know, mm -hmm. that are more day-to-day, -day, um, you know, hair on fire, dealing with stuff like that, as opposed to all of the areas. And ERISA within itself, um, I can say I've dealt with a lot of different areas of law through an ERISA perspective because um, I like to think of myself as the general counsel of that particular business unit, mm -hmm. which is the pension plan, which can be, like you said, several million dollars, um, you know, billion dollars. Right now, the plan I advise is yeah. 50, 52 I'm about billion. I'll say billion for your Yeah, 52 right? billion dollars, right? <laughs> yeah. Give or take, depending on what the market's doing. 52, 54, what's a billion here and mm -hmm. there, right? Um, so there are very few companies that have that market cap. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm, I have the same corporate governance, uh, fiduciary responsibilities, investments, uh, contracts. I've dealt with, you know, uh, all sorts of areas of law, mergers and acquisitions, uh, bankruptcy, employment, wills of the state, family law. I've dealt with a lot of different issues from a pension perspective. So if anybody's ever interested in ERISA law, it's a great area of law. Well, so so let, let, let's switch gears for, for this other part before we get to the fun question. So um, uh, ERISA attorneys are 
um, one of the rarest group of attorneys that you could find out there. Like you find it, like criminal, family law, and I'm I'm not down them. I'm saying there's some smart people. I'm saying when I went to go find people for the podcast, like it was hard to find somebody who specialized in ERISA, right? And then for you to do it as a black woman for large companies, like we got to talk about like how like. Walk us through like how you navigated <laughs> corporate America and how you got to where you are, you know, advising a fifty-two billion dollar plan on their ERISA law. Um, yeah, that's so. That's an interesting journey to be sure. So um, I started out. I'm from Dallas originally, and I went to SMU Law School, um, and I started out as a trial lawyer. That's all I wanted to do was trial law, litigator, allocator. And so um, I was an assistant city attorney at the time. I had worked at a firm and left there and then came on to um, City of Dallas as an assistant city attorney and um, transitioned from being a um, trial lawyer to someone going out on maternity leave. And I just said, you know, oh, well, yeah, she was going on maternity leave and they just needed somebody to fill in for a couple of weeks. Sure, I'll do it, no problem. If nothing else, it's just something new and different that I can learn. Um, and then she decided not to come back. So everything that I have learned about ERISA, I've learned on the job, doing mm. it, in progress, in motion. I'm a journalism major. I have no tax background. I have no accounting. I never even took a business class wow. in undergrad. So everything that I have learned about it, I have learned over the 20-something years that I've been practicing ERISA. Um, and so from there, I transitioned from um, City of Dallas to JCPenney um, when they were on the brink of bankruptcy. The first I bet that was interesting. It was very I interesting. I learned a lot during that I learned time. a lot. And in fact, interestingly enough, now I said I wasn't an accountant and didn't have tax background, but I went through the tax department. And so I was benefits tax counsel, responsible for every number that ran through the return as related to any of the benefits. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I was like, I've never done a return before. But fortunately I had great managers and a great tax director that gave me the opportunity um, to, to just stretch. You know, that we always hear about that stretch assignment. And you gotta be willing to step out there and take the stretch. But I was, and let me say not but, but and also I had the support of a great tax director and a great manager that helped walk me through who were indeed accountants. And so we had that um, conversation that I talked law and they talked to accounting um, and we matched in the middle. Um, so from there I moved over from the tax department into the legal department when 409 Cap A came out and was responsible for all the executive comp mm -hmm. stuff um, at JCPenney then got recruited to American Airlines through their bankruptcy, then with GM, Walmart, and now um, my current company, at &T. So you were like the fixer, they'd be like, hey look, we got a problem, we know who we need to call. <laughs> hey, I don't know about all that. <laughs> I, I just happened to have been in some very interesting companies during interesting times. And the pension plan played a model. And I've also noticed too, most movies, anytime that they're talking about something, large amounts of money going wrong, Pay attention to it. It's always related to the pension plan. Really? The negotiator with Samuel Jackson was mm -hmm. about the pension plan. Mm -hmm. You just go through it, and it's 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 interesting how that comes up. People don't really pay that much attention, but then I get into it. I'm like, yes, that's right. what they're talking about. Yeah, but so, so it's like for for real, man. You're like a you're if if you were a stock, um, 
you are um, still a good vibe because I don't even think the <laughs> there's a very few of you and are, are, are people haven't even started. Like there's so many businesses that um, are gonna have to tighten up their processes. And so somebody with your brain and all that experience, like it's super rare. And so you, you know, yeah, you should, you should like write like a book or something. Or oh, like, you like know, do like an Arista show or something. You can do like a five year. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, you know, it's it's very interesting. I, I've been very fortunate in my career, and every step that I took along the way, um, you know, what I love about Arista, in addition to just being able to impact employees in a lot of ways, American Airlines, I say. I worked on saving the pension plans for hundreds of thousands of people mm -hmm. that I will never know, I'll never see. And they won't even know you. Yeah. And they won't even know that. Um, but I impacted their lives to make their retirement be the promise, mm -hmm. right? Um, and meet the company's needs as well because the company needed to come out of that. And so they've been able to go on and move in a new direction and so um, I feel very fortunate to kind of be part of that story. So, so here's a question, and I promise I'm going to get to the fun, because I know you got to get out of here fun questions. But this, you, you said something, and this is, you can, it wasn't a question I told you in advance, so you can answer it in that question, but it's something that I've always thought about. So, you know, we, we, we us in the industry, uh, you know, who pay attention to pension plans and retirement, you know there's a big crisis in pension plans, right? A lot of companies are just not going to be able to, especially a lot of companies with all this debt now, you know, we just need one bad recession for it to just be real bad, you know, for pensioners. And so, um, um, how, what are your thoughts? And we never really know, um, like should, should pensioners be worried, right? Like, so if I have a pension and I'm, and I'm, I'm aware of this, should I be worried that I might wake up 15 years from now and then the company uh, not be able to pay me? And what protections are in place to help those people? Oh, that's a really good question. Generally speaking, the pension plan is pretty safe. Okay. Pretty safe. If you're already in pay status, um, if you're already so vested you're in your pension, okay. if you're already vested, even if you're currently working and you're already vested, um, because there is... Um, what's called a PBGC, Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. Mm -hmm. um, think of it like the FDIC guarantees your bank account mm -hmm. to a certain level. The PBGC does the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so for those who are in a true defined benefit, the company made you a promise you just have to work so many years to get to the end of it. Mm -hmm. You don't make any contributions. In a traditional pension, the pension plan pays premiums to the PBGC to cover that. If they can, okay. Right now, there's a haircut that if, if a pension plan has to send it over to the PBGC, there's a haircut um, that's involved in that. Mm -hmm. But you will get something. Okay. It won't be like you it's totally gone. Through, yeah. yeah, it won't be totally gone. 401k is a little different. There is no PBGC guaranteeing mm -hmm. that. That's based again on your contributions. If your company makes a match, and again, as I said, they can decide as an employer whether they want to make a match or not, so they can turn that off and on mm -hmm. based on their business needs. Um, but what is um, good about the 401k, you can see that. Every mm -hmm. quarter, really, in most companies, or most record keepers, if they have online, you can see it every day. Mm -hmm. You can see what that return is every day. If you're not getting the return you need or want, you can make adjustments in your investment. If you feel like the market is going a certain way, you can move it to a, uh, a less risky mm -hmm. investment. 
um, and, and depending on what your risk tolerance, you can decide how you want that to grow or be more stable or, you know, take bigger bets. Um, or I won't say best, but make uh, 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 greater uh, investments based on a higher risk tolerance, yeah. right? So um, that's kind of more within your control to do that. You as the participant, though, here's the thing. Um, there is no, with a 401k plan, participants need to be participatory. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it doesn't magically happen. I mean, there have been a lot of things put in place to kind of take advantage of the inertia mm -hmm. of participants. For example, auto enrollment. You know, your your company may have it where you know if you work there for a certain period of time, they're automatically enrolled you in the form like, hey, you can turn it off. But that's trying to, you know, for those people who never sign up, who never engage, who mm -hmm. never start. And then, you know, the other question and concern, some people are saying, well, you know, you let me get to 50, 60 years old, and you, I, I didn't know about the 401k plan. You never enrolled me. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it was kind of on you to do that. So some companies are trying to say, okay, we're going to auto-enroll you. You can turn it off, but at least you're there. Mm -hmm. And it's usually, uh, they may start with a small amount, mm -hmm. like 2 or 3%. Um, and, and most of the time, because generally speaking it's pre-tax you may not feel it as mm -hmm. much um, but um, they may turn on what's called auto escalation so each year or every time you get a raise or an increase or um, every year it may increase by one percent again you can turn that off mm -hmm. you can change it you can adjust it but then that kind of gets you up to usually there's some kind of maximum amount or percentage that you can put in pre-tax and under law there's a, a maximum dollar amount that you can contribute every year to a 401k um, so uh, but that's you as a participant number one what I find very frustrating you didn't ask me this question but I'm going to jump yeah, in go there ahead, please. Uh, participant, you got to read your mail <laughs> you got to read your mail you got to open your statements you got to look at you know we, we there's so much time taken into writing out and I review all that stuff mm -hmm. that you get in the mail that you think is junk mail but most of the time they really are trying to communicate with you because that's another fiduciary obligation yeah. in that um, yes they can kind of lead a horse to water they can't make you drink but they have to tell you what's going on with your plan they have to notify you they have to send out notices um, that's part of the DOL requirements mm -hmm. um, to communicate with participants but, but you gotta read your mail um, the second thing I always try to emphasize whenever I'm doing um, conversations like this or presentations, some of the biggest estate planning that you can do, particularly in the African-American community, but really anywhere, please fill out your beneficiary designation mm, forms. That's an easy one, too. So easy, so easy, so easy. If you complete a beneficiary designation form, A, while you're alive, you get to decide who you want to have your money. The second part of that that's so important to, about it, you can avoid an estate requirement because if you have a beneficiary designation form, then we don't have to go to probate court. We don't have to get a will. We don't have to you know, wait for the family to fight it out about who's going to be the executor and who's going to have control because then you have already designated for your form. And generally speaking, that's with your 401k, that's with any life insurance policies, um, that will just cut down on so your IRAs. Mm -hmm. That will cut down 
on so much noise. And quite frankly, other than your home, generally your retirement is your biggest asset. Mm -hmm. So imagine having to cut out that whole legal process of probate if you just fill out a simple form. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. No, that's good, 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 good education. Uh, last final question, right? Uh, so you've been in Dallas for a while. For a minute. What are your favorite restaurants? Are you gonna? It's gonna be good because you're gonna know like the best <laughs> restaurants. You know, like the foodie, so this is where I find my um, spots. You know, I have a lot, a lot of good restaurants. You know, Dallas is good. I mean, with restaurants, we have some great. Depending on high end, low end, my favorite barbecue spot, Two Partners. Two Partners, okay. Two I know what that is. Yeah, yeah like um, chamber members. Yes. Yeah. Um, love that baked potato. When they have time, that they can really make it. Ah, just yummy. Um, uh, I love um, the island spot mm -hmm. when I want a little Caribbean um, in my life. Um, but there's so many places that have opened up Bishop Arts. Every time I go down there, there's it's somewhere new. Right. There's something new, and that was just the way that's booming and buzzing. Um, that's just a totally new area. Deep Ellum. I love going, you know, you never know what's going to be at Deep mm -hmm. Ellum. It's just a different. You've been to the New spot over there? I've not been there yet. La, La Bon Temps. It's over at Malcolm X in Maine. Okay. I'll have to try that. Mm -hmm. That's good. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I don't want to name one place. So okay, I'm just trying because then people are like, why didn't name it? I mean, I just can't <laughs> think of all the other different places. Okay, so the, the, those are two good ones, two good ones. I forgot about two pods. And I went there like eight years ago with um, uh, uh, one of your attorney brothers, by the way, on camera. Happy Founders Day. Thank you so much. Yes, yes. It's the pink. Um, yes. So the next question is, um, when you get some downtime, what are your favorite shows to binge watch? So I'm all about power these days. Mm. I'm all about power, and I'm Team Tommy. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of feedback on that, and we can discuss that in a whole other uh, situation. Um, and another really, really good show, The Godfather of Harlem. I have not. That's like on my list. Of Netflix. Oh my goodness! Is it really good? It is excellent. Forrest Whitaker, can't go wrong there. But what is interesting about that show, um, for those of you, it's a, basically about Bumpy Johnson, mm -hmm. who wait, was... Wait, that's not, that's not on Netflix, that's on... Um, it, Epics. Epics, yeah. Yeah, E-P-I-X. Yeah. Um, and so it basically is Bumpy Johnson, after he's done his prison term, coming back, and the world has changed a little bit. Mm. But um, so he's was sent away to Alcatraz for 11 years, so he comes back. And now he's trying to reestablish his domain in Harlem. So you can imagine 11 years, that's a decade. So, so in that timeline, because you know American Gangster was his protege, Denzel Washington's character. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, um, Frank, 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 Frank Lucas. Frank Lucas, so, right. So, so could, right. Did Frank take over after he went to prison or after? After. 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 After, after. after this, after Godfather right. of Harlem. Right. Okay, got and it. So, um, and they haven't, at this point, I'm, and I've, I've only binge-watched part of it, because I'm not a big binge-watcher. Okay. I, I can't, I'm old school. I <laughs> kind of like the anticipation of waiting yeah, next week yeah. to see what's going to happen and, you know, get my theories and things. So just, and, you know, my daughters will sit, and they, they won't even watch a show. They're like, I need the whole season to be done, and then they'll just sit down mm -hmm. and, you know, a weekend and watch the everything I'm out. I can't do that. So um, I only watched like four shows back to back of *The Father Home*. So this is about them just getting back. But what's interesting about it is um, Bumpy Johnson 
in the timeline with um, Adam Clayton Powell as the first you know, black congressman out of Harlem, and then Malcolm X about the time that he was falling out of the nation of Islam. And so they take what we know, like what you historically know mm -hmm. and what you've learned, and they're interlacing that into the story. Mm -hmm. It is excellent. It is so good. So, I, so I gotta watch that. I might, yeah. I might get ethics for a month just to... Just to it's just worth it. It is definitely, uh, it's definitely worth it. So those are kind of the two shows that I'm, I'm okay. watching right now. Well, the other show I like to watch is The Good Place. Okay, yeah. What, what about movies? What's your favorite, favorite movies of all time? Of all time? Of all time. Oh wow! So um, I am a very big person on the time space continuum sort of thing. So um, the Matrix. That's a good one. That's a awesome. Um, the Terminator. Now the last one they did, you know, uh, they need the franchise. Okay, we're good with that. But um, yeah, the Terminator is kind of that time space continuum. Um, and I like pretty much any kind of movie. You know, action adventure, rom com. You know, other than I'm not big on war movies. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not too big on. We probably like the same movies. I like space, sci-fi, time, timelines, and superheroes. I'm a nerd. Yeah, Star Wars. I had to have. So um, my dad took me to the original, and my sister to the original Star Wars, um, 1977. And we just walked in and was like, we have no idea what's going on. And when Darth Vader stepped out, we were like, oh my goodness. And so it was so special for me. My dad called me at work, like, you got your tickets yet for the very last one? Okay, I got our tickets. Meet me here, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. So on November, this past November, we were there. Yeah. Um, and it was just kind of like a nice bookend yeah. to start it with my dad, finish it with my dad. You know, not the last one. Didn't, did not buy their franchise to end it. Well, there may be other stories, and they've already had other timelines yeah, time and stories to pop off of it, but as far as the original trilogy, got it. that was the last one of the trilogy. So, so it, won't be, it won't show, uh, what's her name, New Skywalker, yeah. uh, training new Jedi. They're like done. They may do that, but that's not, that's not the original, yeah. you know, situation. Yeah. Because and what makes that so interesting, when um, they first said it was a trilogy, George Lucas said he didn't think he would ever see them all done within his lifetime. Mm. And he did. And he did. Yeah, that's a blessing. Yeah. Uh, podcast, what are some of your favorite podcasts to listen to? So I'm just kind of getting into the whole podcast thing, but what has caught my ear, um, Slow Burn. Slow burn? Uh huh. What is that? So, I don't know, it just popped up on my Pandora, right, at one point. But this is basically about the whole East Coast, West Coast rivalry, Biggie and Tupac. Mm -hmm. And they just go through the whole, you know, I guess they're just taking different points in time and aspects, um, talking about um, because there is a thought out there, you know, that the whole East Coast, West Coast rivalry wasn't a real thing. Like, like Biggie and Tupac really had no beef, personally. Right. Like if they could sit down personally and talk to each other, but it was just all about miscommunication. Mm -hmm. um, and those around them kind of creating this beef. And so um, I don't know that that's what they intend for it to do, but or it's just kind of explaining how it built, mm. built, built, built to be a thing. So um, yeah, I'm. I'm that's a, not like a good one. I'm a child of the true hip hop era, mm -hmm. so of when it was created. Mm -hmm. um, I know it doesn't seem like that, but yeah, yeah. that's that. But that's kind of caught my ear, and it's just interesting okay. about that. Yeah, Slow Burn, I think that's the name of it. And then what about books? What, what are some books you like to? 
um, to get out or, or read? Sure. Um, and, you know, of course, everybody's read Becoming. Um, that has been kind of the book um, for women, particularly career women, um, professional women. The book I recommend, um, Play Like a Man, Win Like a Woman. Hmm. And um, by Gail Evans, I believe is her name. Um, she was a former EVP, I think, in the CNN when they were first getting started, or one of the news, I think it was CNN. But anyway, point B of it is that a lot of times uh, women have to define what winning is from a female perspective, which is not necessarily the same as men. However, because men are the dominant gender in the professional workplace, that's changed some. Um, over the years, and I've seen that, but they wrote the rules. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand how the rules work and how men perceive the rules, how you can play, but as a woman, in that without being, um, you know, pandering to stereotypes or things like that. But there's just certain things that you just need to understand. And then if you redefine what winning is, mm -hmm. maybe winning for you isn't the corner office, the end-all, be-all world, because, you know, you really want your kids to know you. Mm -hmm. You don't want a nanny to raise your children. Mm -hmm. um, then there are things that you have to redefine winning for you as a woman. And it's very interesting that I find lately, I've found a lot of young men, particularly about your age with young families, who are coming to me for mentoring advice mm -hmm. because they want to be in their children's lives. They want to understand how do you do that work-life balance mm -hmm. sort of thing. And they can't get that advice from their male mentors that mm -hmm. are my contemporaries mm -hmm. because their thing was good that, old life. Yeah, yeah, Your wife handled all yeah, that yeah. or, you know, that, I mean, and I'm not saying there aren't gentlemen that I know, my contemporaries who, you know, aren't right. involved engaging their children, but it just looked different then. Um, the expectation was different then um, for them as men than it is for your generation of men. Um, and I just thought that was very, and I was like, because they were saying, uh, I was talking to a German, he said, I was talking to my mentor, and he was like, you need to talk to Vicky She's the only one I know. Mm -hmm. the only one, I mean, you know, she's one of the few women I know to have navigated and stay constantly engaged in her career. No, yeah, you, it's funny you say that, because like me, and I got a group of college, you know, chapter brothers that we have had a group me chat, uh, since we got out of college, um, and we're all dads, and you know, and we're all like involved, like you know what I mean. Like, is you know, we pick up the kids, you know, take, uh, uh, drop them off, like super involved. And I was like, I say, like, you guys realize, like, this is like um, the norm. Like, this is not something, you know, back, you know, twenty years ago, this might right. have been unique. But I was like, I know, but I was thinking about the dad group um, before the, the, right. the deal, and. Uh, but I think, it, and, and, and like you said, you know, I've, I've found myself um, uh, not doing the certain things because I'm like, like, I don't, I mean, sure, I can grow faster, you know, but I don't want to, like, miss my boys, right, you know, because, uh, so, so, yeah, that's interesting. I, I never thought to get a, uh, a, a female mentor to help, but that would be a great idea, you know, because, you know. We've been doing it. Yeah, yeah. We've been doing it for a minute. And doing it well. Uh, well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. I like to think so. My daughters um, are the fruit of that labor, and mm -hmm. they're doing well. So thanks. Uh, well, I absolutely appreciate you coming on and uh, uh, um, 
giving your giving your thoughts. And you mentioned folks can reach out if they want to get into ERISA law. What's the best way for people to, to, to reach you? Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. So if they drop me a note on LinkedIn, um, that's probably going to be the best way to okay. get me, and I'll be sure to respond. And just reference the podcast. Um, that That's where you saw me, mm-hmm. so that I can kind of get a point of reference. And, you know, if you have a question, just let me know. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.